Tommy, you were probably talking about me when you said Smile Church. Um, so I wasn't singing as I normally do because I was terrified this microphone was going to be on. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. No, I just need to ask for a little grace this morning. Um, the story I talk about is over almost 50 years of time. The specific event is 10 years ago. Uh, details, you know, can be harder to recall. And it's very traumatic for me. Um, I've had a sense of dread regarding this moment right here for since Scotty and I first discussed it um, for several reasons. And one is I can count on one hand uh, the number of times that I've told this story. It's very few, and you'll hear more about that later. I've also never given it to a group of people that I have to face again, that I have to see next Sunday or the next Sunday or the next Sunday. Um, and the third reason is uh, I, I have experienced um, just very rough periods of spiritual attacks uh, any time that I've tried to do this. Um, but I was sitting last Sunday in the pew, and uh, it was amazing because I, I barely was listening to what was going on. I was just trying to figure out a way to delay this or cancel it or get Scotty to postpone it or, or something. And Mr. Tommy sang a verse out of a stanza and that verse said that this is nothing compared to what Christ did for you on Calvary. And that just gave me amazing comfort and hope in that moment just to know that and peace throughout this week uh, as I was nervous about this to just know that this is nothing compared to what Christ did for me on Calvary. And I don't have anyone standing behind me whipping me with chains or, or threatening to drive nails through my hand when I leave here. And the least thing that I can do is is talk about the miraculous things that he's done in my life. So we heard a brief song just now from the artist Plum, Need You Now. Uh, this song holds great meaning for me. It was during the events. It came out at the exact time of the events that I'm going to discuss. Um, Plum sang the song as she started to experience fame as an artist. It was one of her hits, uh, one of the, the songs that brought her into the spotlight and Right at that height of her fame, she began to be attacked as well, right when she sort of made it and thought she had it figured out. Her family fell apart, um, her life fell apart, and her career fell apart. And so she felt like during that time she started to have panic attacks and she felt like it was difficult to breathe during these attacks. And so she was crying out to God saying, how many times can you give me the strength to just keep breathing? I need you, God, I need you now. And she was uncomfortable during these episodes. Um, it was difficult for her to breathe. And I don't want to minimize that um, because it's, it's very serious when it's uncomfortable to breathe. Every medical issue is serious. But I'm going to tell you a story that takes that to the extreme and it takes it all the way to death. Not that it's difficult to breathe or it's uncomfortable to breathe, um, but there is no next breath to be had. No matter what, death has you firmly in its grip. All the laws of earth, physics, science, medicine, they all lead to one place, and that is to death. And as a matter of fact, many months after I was in the hospital, a gentleman came to visit me. He was an engineer, and he came to the hospital himself, and he told me, he said, I just had to lay eyes on you. I just had to see that you were here and that you were alive because everything that I've been taught all the calculations, all the simulations, 
they all end in your death. So this is my story of God, I need you now. And I'm ashamed to say that when I cried out to God that I need you now, I was as far away from him on a spiritual journey that you could be. I had pushed him as far out of my life um, as I could. But what was amazing is he was right there when I cried out. The Lord's always put something on my heart right before this uh, testimony, the very few times I've done it. And this morning, all the way to church, he just cried out to me, believe, believe. And Scotty led into that, that it is very difficult for us. I struggled tremendously with, is it real? Here at the time of Christmas, you know, they, back in those days, they went through the events with Christ. They saw miracles. They saw him walk. They saw everything. We're asked to believe on faith, and that's a very difficult thing to do. I struggled with that, and I'd like to tell you my story, and I hope that you have a little bit of reason to believe. So I grew up in South Georgia, um, spent summers here in Blairsville. I had an idyllic childhood. I grew up on a farm. My playground were fields of peanuts, tractors, uh, cotton gins, just an, an amazing childhood. I had the most wonderful anchors of grandparents and parents as an example for Christ. My two grandmothers were absolutely saints. We went to church all the time. We did not miss a day. We did not miss an event. We did not miss anything. We were typically the ones there opening the doors uh, first, and it was just an incredible example of how to live a life for Christ, and I was just immersed in that as a child. And so I accepted Christ uh, in youth, as a lot do, uh, growing up through the church, and, um, and was just surrounded by it. And I graduated um, at age 17, a little bit early, and I went to the university, don't hold this against me. I was living there at the time and, uh, and I played sports, but I went to the University of Alabama, uh, go dogs. But um, <laughs> I had no business being a 17 year old kid at the University of Alabama. Um, I was immature and all of those guardrails and that structure and my grandparents' example, and everything that I had around me was gone. And I dove into that world head first. Um, uh, It wasn't about school for me. Um, I enjoyed all the other things that that came with it that I had never been around and that my curfews had probably prohibited. Um, And so I made it through one semester, barely. Um, The second semester, my parents thought I was going to school, and I wasn't going to school. And I did not beat my dad. Back then, they, we didn't have uh, the internet, so back then they actually mailed your grades uh, home. And so you could beat your parents to the mailbox sometimes and delay the inevitable. And uh, I did not beat my dad to the mailbox that morning. And I was lying in bed, and the door flew off of my bedroom hinges and came in the bed with me. And my dad informed me I would not be returning to the University of Alabama. And so uh, from there, I got a job, worked myself through school, uh, relied on my sports background, and, and ended up finishing school and, uh, and ended up 
entering the workforce. And I entered the workforce as a young healthcare executive. Uh, I was very humble, uh, probably at the time still. Uh, I appreciated uh, the doors that the Lord had unlocked for me. And um, what was amazing is I was just very successful. Uh, and I say that in terms of, of just achieving things that normally take a longer period of time to achieve. And the Lord just blessed me incredibly with, uh, with success and, and, and just being able to have things happen and, and being able to, to just have great things happen to you. And I'd call back to my grandparents and I'd, I'd be proud and they'd be proud. And, uh, and I have to say at that time, I was a little bit thankful. And as I progressed, um, and became a little more successful, I got a peek behind the curtain of the earthly things that come with that. Power, wealth, um, corruption, um, success, uh, all of that. And uh, as I began to peek at that um, and become more exposed to it, I began to want it. And, uh, and I worked very hard. Um, and I chased, started to chase that and, uh, and to see it. And, uh, and it began just like diving in headfirst at school. I dove in headfirst to that and it started to consume me. And um, I would tell myself as I progressed a little bit, you know, just one more time, just, you know, 10,000 more dollars, You'll be happy. Uh, you'll 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 be there. Um, everything will be good, and the next ten thousand dollars would come, and and I would just it would make me just want so much more, and uh, and I began to put that in front of everything. I um, I began to just work was all I wanted. Success, power, the respect. I saw the executives in front of me, the CEOs, the the COOs, they had the watches, they had the cars, they had the planes, they had, they had it all, and I wanted what they had. And during that entire time, the Lord would, would just tap me on the shoulder and, and just begin to whisper to me that this is not what I had planned for you. This is not what I had in mind for you. And I would hear him and, uh, you know, just keep moving on. And I found myself, um, you know, I worked for a very for-profit company. Uh, there was no Christian influences. There were no anything. Uh, it was just greed and success and power at any cost. And I found myself in those boardrooms and in those places. And I found myself, none of the guys went to church. None of the guys... Uh, had anything to do with Christ. And so I fell right in with them and began to, the jokes about Christians denying your faith, how stupid is this? Why would people do this? You know, I fell right in with it. Um, I uh, denied Christ and, and went right along with them because I was scared to lose the wealth and the power and the respect. And, um, during that time, like I said, I, I put 
all of that in front of everything. Our relationship with Christ. I had a young family at the time. Put it in front of that. Uh, work was the most important thing. Gaining this power and this success and all of that was more important at that time than anything. And again, the Lord's just telling me, it's not what I had in mind for you. And I would sit in church. I would, go, I would get guilty sometimes and take my family back to church and you know throw an extra 20 in the plate and think I'm doing something. And, uh, and I would see these guys around me that were my age or a little bit older than me. And, you know, they just had a peace about them that I didn't have. I was miserable. I was a very young, I would say, you know, late 20s executive with a six-figure salary, boats, houses, trucks, vacate, you name it, I could do it. And I would see these other people that just had such a peace that, that eluded me. And, you know, I'd look at them and say, I have so much more than you do. I have a bigger house. I can do more than you. Um, I'm more successful than you. And you probably couldn't have found a more miserable person than myself. And so that rocked along. Um, the Lord the entire time telling me, you know, this is not what I had planned for you. And... Then things began to not come so easy. Um, my family fell apart, um, but I still had work, still had uh, the, the influences around me at the time were put your head to the grindstone harder and, and keep pushing. And uh, so I did. And, um, you know, the Lord the entire time is just, this is not it. This is not it. And, uh, and it wasn't that he was telling me I wasn't supposed to be working or, or doing anything, but it was the manner in, in which I was doing it. It was the, the opportunities that I had to uh, help people to uh, even notice them because I didn't notice them. I was just chasing the next meeting, the next raise, uh, and, and the next bit of power. And um, so family falls apart. Work's still there. Um, all of a sudden, work, what used to be easy, what used to just happen, stops happening. Uh, it's very difficult. I start failing. Um, the things that used to come easy don't come easy anymore. And, um, you know, the Lord the whole time is just, you need to change. And so work fails. Um, I look at around look at myself, have that message from the Lord in my ear, and, uh, and instead of listening to him, I hardened my heart even more. Um, I looked at myself and I said, I'm young, I'm strong, I'm healthy, um, never been sick, never had any issues. Um, I'll show you, God, I'll do what I want to do. And so my family had always farmed, uh, grew up on a farm, and um, so I dropped everything and started to farm some and um, started living one of the most reckless lifestyles that you could live. And, uh, and I just turned away from God completely. Um, and it was, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it's all about me. 
And so that led to a morning of um, October 2012. I was farming. I remember it was the first cold morning, first morning I wore a jacket. Um, we were picking peanuts. I uh, got there early that morning. Um, daylight right in that area. Um, the field we were in is attached to Plant Vogel, which is a nuclear power plant down in South Georgia. Uh, their main substation comes into that field there. It's a huge electrical complex. And so that morning we get there and I go to the truck and I grab probably the worst thing I could have grabbed. I grabbed a six foot steel stainless steel air wand. I hear the tractors crank up behind me, not really paying attention. Um, and I turn and I go to the tractor and I get about three or four feet away from the tractor and unbeknownst to me, the gentleman had begun to let the peanut combine up and there were the transmission lines coming in uh, to the substation there, which are high voltage transmission lines from a nuclear power plant. They're one of the largest you can find. Um, he let the combine up into the high power transmission lines. And so when I was about three feet away from the tractor, um, I was immediately electrocuted by 220,000 volts of electricity. I can't put into words um, or describe the feeling of that. It was the most violent um, thing that you could, you could ever have happen to you. Um, I was picked up and down, thrown around in the air. Uh, my, my jaws would slam so hard, my teeth would start breaking out. Um, I didn't know that electricity flowed in pulses, um, so it would be this violent episode of, of electrocution, and then there'd be a very brief pause where it dropped me back down, and then it would, it would go again. Um, so at first, everything was red. Uh, uh, it, it was loud. It was the loudest thing that you could ever imagine going through your head. Um, the electricity was coming into me, crossing and, uh, and grounded through my boots and, and flowing through me for a long period of time. And at first I thought the world ended. I just thought, you know, I was standing on the ground. All of this happened. The world just had to end. Just had to stop. This is it. It's over. Um, second thing that went through my mind, we always joked about the nuclear power plant blowing up and taking us all with it. So second thing that went through my mind is Plant Vogel just blew up. And this is the red, this is the mushroom cloud, this is the, the violentness of that. Um, and all of a sudden, my mind just sharpened. I'm being electrocuted this entire time. And my mind just sharpened to a level that is hard to describe. Um, the noise went away, the violentness of stuff went away. Um, I was hyper aware and hyper acute of everything. And I 
ran through my mind. You know, we are in a field, we are right next to the substation, and you're being electrocuted, and you're about to die. And in that moment, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't see God. I didn't go before the throne room of heaven or anything. And again, these are, these are my words. These are my feelings. Um, but right in that moment, my entire life was put on display right in front of me. All of it. It was as if I was being judged in that moment. And all the opportunities, the people I hurt, the moments I missed, everything was right before me. And it was as if the Lord was telling me, if I take you right now, if you go right now, there is absolutely no way I can tell you you have run a good race, that you have done a good job, and that you have done anything good in this world. And the pain of all of that that I had missed was overwhelming because my time was up. And I had always banked on time. I had always, that was, that was my life philosophy, is I got time. Always have time. When I'm 50, 60, I'll change. I'll come around. I'll be like my grandparents. I'll start doing the things that you're supposed to do. I'll start attending church regularly. I'll stop all the other. I got time. And my time was up. All of that delay, all of that was, was right there before me. And the other thing of that is it was all me. You know, it, it was not, there was no one else to blame. There was no one else to, to look to. Um, these were the choices that I had made. And I was absolutely terrified. And so I did the only thing that, that I could think of, and I'm being electrocuted this entire time, um, is I started to pray. And uh, I couldn't get very many words out. Uh, all I could get out was, God, please forgive me for my sins. God, please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for my sins. And as I said those words, um, everything stopped. Right there. All of it. I opened my eyes. Um, I was lying on the ground. My boots were on fire, my hair was on fire, and my arm was destroyed. And I was laying in a perfect position. When I was being electrocuted, I was being thrown up and down in the air, moved around, uh, violent nature of things. And here I was, perfectly placed on the ground. I could not reenact that a million times and put myself in that position. 
I should have, when the electricity broke, I should have crumpled to the ground. I should have hit my head. I should have fallen backwards and hit my head. I should have been in the fetal position. There's no possible explanation for the way that I was. I was perfectly placed here with my damaged arm that should have been under me here and it was lying out to the side. There's no way that you can put yourself in that position from a fall. I was the most right-handed dominant person on the planet, sports, anything. My left hand just existed to, to help me out a little bit. I knew I was dying. Um, the gentleman that was on the tractor, he had not seen me being electrocuted the whole time. Uh, so when the line broke and I'm on the ground, the line started flying around everywhere. It was hitting, we had a lot of equipment out there. Sounded like World War II. It was hitting the other pieces of equipment. Tires were exploding. Um, gas tanks were exploding. It, it sounded like a war zone from that live line and it was just flying everywhere. So when the gentleman got off a tractor, came down, saw me in the condition I was in, he went into shock. I saw the look on his face. I mean, he, he didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and he just started running around and running and was in shock. And I knew I needed help. And, uh, and so I reached down, this arm was absolutely destroyed. Couldn't move it, it's laying out over here. And so I reached down and my phone that was always uh, in my right pocket with everything else and all the time, my phone was in my left pocket. I didn't put it there. Um, so I pulled my phone out of my pocket with the only hand that I could use and the 911 screen came up and I called 911 and asked them to come get me. And the sound of that ambulance was one of the greatest sounds I've ever heard in my life. Um, they were only a couple of miles away, but it felt like it took them two hours to get there. And um, so the ambulance pulls up, two EMTs, they come up to me and, and they're in a frantic, you know, frenzy again. I'm burning, I'm on fire, I'm, I'm smoking, uh, badly damaged. Uh, the electricity had blown out of my back, exploded all of my back muscles crossed here blew both of my calf muscles apart and it blew half of my left foot off and, and melted my right heel entirely and fused all of my toes together from the heat. And so they're just trying to figure out kind of what to do. And the fire chief that responds with them pulls up in a truck and, um, and I knew him and he comes running up and they were kind of trying to cut a little bit on pants and stuff like that. And he took one look at me and he looked at them and he said, you gotta go now. He said, stop all this. You, you gotta get him loaded up and you gotta go now. And so they uh, put me on a stretcher, picked me up. And again, there is two EMTs, the fire chief and the gentleman that was on the tractor. So there's four of us there. Uh, they began to push me to the ambulance. And so I've got an EMT at my head, EMT at my feet. The fire chief is, is here with the other guy and they're all assisting me to the ambulance. And my head's laying to the left on the stretcher. And as we start going to the ambulance, I'm looking over to the left there. And again, all these gentlemen are focused on me. They're all going in one direction, looking in one place. 
And I look to the left and standing about 15, 20 yards behind them, there's a figure standing there. And, um, and it's not doing anything. Um, our eyes locked. It actually has the face of my father on it, my biological father. And our eyes are just locked on the way to the ambulance. No one can see it but me. And he's just looking at me and he's just telling me, you're going to be okay. Just be strong and you're going to be okay. And I get in the ambulance and we leave. And in my mind, from all the violentness, I'm just, how did my dad get there? You know, he would have had to have been driving by. I mean, how could he do that? I get to the trauma unit uh, shortly after my dad does get there. And, uh, and I look at him, look at him in the eyes, and I say, Dad, you were there. And, and he looks at me and he says, Son, I wasn't there. I just got here. That was an angel that was standing back there for me to see. And the reason God chose the face of my dad is because my dad has always been there for me. My dad has always provided me comfort. My dad has always been the one to protect me and to make me feel okay. I don't know why. I couldn't comprehend uh, that. I didn't talk about it for over a year. I couldn't process it. Um, why God allowed me to see that I'm nobody. Um, I'm not anybody important. Uh, certainly not a pastor or a pope or president or, or anything, but I know what I saw. I was conscious the entire time, and it was 100% real. It was an angel that had stopped the electricity, placed me on the ground perfectly, and, uh, and pulled me back from death's grasp. So I go to the burn unit, and, uh, and I'm at the burn unit for a long time, uh, about a year. So 27, 28 operations, uh, a lot of transfers of nerves and, and things of that nature uh, go on. They sew my arm inside of my stomach for three months and <coughs> had to put me in a straight jacket for that long a time so I wouldn't fall asleep and accidentally jerk my arm out of my stomach. Um, two things that I went through is, is one, horrific pain, horrific skin graft. They, they pretty much cut all the skin off my entire legs to be able to cover places that I needed covered and all that. Uh, staples being constantly pulled out of me, straight jackets. Um, I say all that to say that if I had the opportunity to go back and be electrocuted or not again, I would choose being electrocuted a million times and all of that pain. Because you see, God didn't strike me down. God didn't send a, a bolt of electricity or, or something to hurt me. What God needed me to do was slow down. I would never listen to Him. All the moments, all the time, I was too busy. He needed to get me in a set of circumstances where I could listen. I was always so dependent on myself and so dependent on me. And for the first time ever, I assure you, when you have all of that going on 
and you're in a straitjacket, you got a lot of time to be still. And you got a lot of nights with God, and it's just you and Him. And in those nights, He was able to talk to me for the first time ever. He was able to get me to be still. And I kept my scars for that reason. I had the opportunity to have these scars repaired and some cosmetic surgery, and I chose to keep my scars as a reminder of what God did for me. And he also, so many miracles happened in the hospital. I mean, things that, nerve transplants that were experimental, they were gonna cut my arm off every day. I can't tell you, I went to surgery probably four times to have my arm cut off, and something would happen, something, a, a therapist or somebody saying, stopping a surgeon, saying, no, I don't think this is right, or just all of these amazing miracles that God allowed to happen over that time and to help me recover. And I wrestled that entire time with the story of that angel. I, I could not talk to anyone. I could not speak about it. I didn't talk to my parents. I didn't talk to anyone about it for over a year. And I was in the hospital trying to process it, trying to understand it. Um, I didn't know what to do. Um, a pastor friend of my parents had come to visit me. Um, I didn't know him, had never met him. He was friends with my parents and, and was from a state over. And uh, he came one day and I saw him and I just said, look, I need to talk to somebody. I, I, I need help. I, I need to try to understand what has happened. And, uh, and we sat in the wound center down there and, and I told him the whole story. And uh, I said, I, I, I don't know what to do with it. And help me. And he said, look, um, I've got a small men's group coming up. Um, why don't you come to that men's group and, and talk to them about your story? And I said, that would be great. And so I went, told my story for the first time to this men's group, and well received. Um, it helped me heal. Uh, I felt better. Uh, they said, could you please come to church and tell the story in church? And I said, sure. And so I went to church, to their church, and I told the story. And again, I healed. I felt amazing. I was so, God and I just bonded so much over that period of time. And we were so close. And, and I was on a different path for the first time. And there was another pastor at that church. He said, could you please come to my church next Sunday and tell that story? I said, sure. And uh, God and I at this time were just feeling as, you know, as close as we've ever been. And I go to that church, and right before I go to walk up, he said, will you please come in my office? And I said, sure. And so I went in his office, and he had the deacons in there, and he said, Brandon, I don't know why, but God's pulling on my heart really hard, and I need to pray for you. And he started praying, and the words that came out of his mouth were, Lord, please protect this gentleman from Satan because Satan is going to do everything that he can to stop this story being told. And I'm listening to him, and I'm appreciative, but I'm thinking in my mind, you know, Lord and I are really close right now. I'm on a different journey. Uh, I don't think it'd be really good for Satan to, to come at me right now. Um, Satan is the other side of this story. I had only known him and running with him. I was very good 
at running with the devil, fighting him or, or uh, going against him. I had, never, I had no experience in that. I went on after he prayed, told my story to that church, and that would be the last time I spoke about it for over two years. Because Satan did. What his prayer was about was very real. Satan didn't whack me in the head leaving the church or, or threaten me or anything. He came at me very subtly over the next weeks. Um, my wife and I would be walking through the mall uh, or something. I'd have bandages on or my hands disfigured. It looked a lot different back then. I'd see people staring, looking. I'd find myself, the scars I was proud of, I'd find myself hiding them. We'd be out to dinner, uh, eating. Uh, my wife had to cut up my steak for me. Um, we'd be sitting there, and, and there was just this voice, just, look at you, you know. What kind of man are you? Your, your wife's having to cut your food up for you. Who wants to be with a man that they have to do this for? You can't do anything. You are useless. You cannot go out in the yard and throw the football with your kids. You cannot do the things that normal people can do. You find out quickly with one hand, buttons, zippers, things of that nature are very difficult to navigate. So, you know, your wife's having to help you get dressed in this and, and the whole time he's just pouring on the coals of you are worthless. There is nothing you can contribute and nothing that you can do. And he sent me into one of the deepest, darkest depressions that you could probably go in. And I stopped talking. I didn't talk to anybody. I went into a rage. Um, I was mad. Um, instead of being helpful and, and doing things that I should be doing, uh, I found myself in a dark place. I took most of that out on my wife. Um, I was ugly, jealous, mad, and, uh, and he hit me right where it hurt, and he shut me up. And it took me a long time to, to come out of that, and I wasn't equipped to fight him. I wasn't equipped to, to fight a spiritual battle, and, uh, and, and he certainly didn't want me sharing a story or sharing things about God's greatness. And uh, thankfully, with the support of my wife, with the support of parents around me and, and the structure and the church and Scotty and all of you, I'm able to do that now. And, and I'm able to, to try to be a better person. If there's anything that you can take from these stories, is it is hard to believe. If you struggle with faith, if you struggle with, is it real? If you struggle with there, I don't know why, but I've seen it. And what I saw was very real. And I can also say the judgment I felt was very real. And one day we're all going to be back there. And when I was in that moment, you know, the people you worry about, you know, do I share my faith to a coworker? What are they going to think about me? Do I share my faith to a friend? Do I stop and go against the crowd? None of those people are going to be there with you when you give an account. It will be you and God. And I can tell you, I don't know if what my experience was close to, but you know, there's no do-over. There, there's no wait a minute and go back. 
And the last thing that I would share, and especially for you young folks, is time is not on your side. Time can come at any moment. And so use your time wisely. Don't make the mistake that I did. Don't think that you have a lot of time to get things done and to do it later and to volunteer later and, and to go later because your time can come at any moment. Plum's next song would coincide with my journey out of the hospital. Uh, it also holds special meaning for me. And it's, Lord, I'm ready now. I just let go. I feel exposed. It's beautiful. This is who I am. I was so caught up in who I'm not. Can you please forgive me? I've nothing left to hide. No reasons left to lie. Give me another chance. All the walls are down. Time is running out. And I want to make this count. I ran away from you, did what I wanted to, but I don't want to let you down. Lord, I'm ready now. Thank you all. we want to try to figure things out don't we we want to try to understand but brothers and sisters faith isn't something you understand it's something you have sometimes you have faith without understanding but in the end when we truly have faith we have an understanding an understanding that goes beyond anything that we can comprehend and that's only by our faith Everybody's got a story. Yeah, yours may not be like Brandon's. And I know a lot of people want to say, well, my story's not as powerful. God came down, saw your need, took you from the grips of death and brought you to life. How is that not powerful? Regardless if it was in your heart or actually in your body, God saved you. That's an amazing thing. And it's different. 
It's different when we experience things. So, over the next couple weeks, I really want you to be thinking about, I want you to be thinking about the time that God really showed His self to you. The day that He really snapped you and woke you up. Think about it. Because you may have a chance to share it too. Tommy, if y'all will, come on. I want... Stephanie, if you don't care, hit pause on that, please. Thank you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you need to just ask God for a little bit more faith. Because honestly, guys, faith is something that's given to us. It's not something that we build. It's not something that we work on. It's something that's given to us. Maybe this morning you need a little bit more faith. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you need to profess your faith. Whatever you need to do, as we stand, as they sing, you can come to the altar, you can do it right where you're at. This morning, where's your faith need to be?